Amen. That was, I love that song. That's so awesome. Good morning once again. Welcome, Stonebridge. So exciting to see you all here and for you to be with us. Welcome to spring in Iowa, right? Gosh, my boys were sitting at the window yesterday, just like they came down first and caught the first glimpse of snow. And they're like, what? What is this? I thought it was spring. I was like, I thought so too, guys. I don't know. But then I got to, I was just thinking about this sitting over there. I'm like, this is like God's April Fool's joke to us, I think. Like, right? Because Easter is on April Fool's. Like, there's got to be some sort of connection there. I don't know. Maybe... Oh, yeah. So today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians seven eighteen through 40. We're still just working our way through 1 Corinthians. Um, so if you want to head over there, that would be really awesome. I'd really appreciate it. I made the joke last time that I preached that last time I had seven verses to preach on, and it took everything in me to keep it under 40 minutes. So today I have 23 verses to preach on. Do the math. 7, 14, 21, 40, 80, 120 minute sermon, right? Buckle up, get comfy. No, God, no, I couldn't. I put myself to sleep if I preach for 120 minutes. That's just, I just, I can't. I promise it won't be that long. Before we dive into the text for today, I I just want to ask you, you know, Shane kind of alluded to, or not even alluded, just talked about it at the beginning, but I just want you to think, what is it that you desire? What is that one thing that if you could just have that, you'd be happy? What do you desire? Today's passage really looks at the, the idea of being content with God's plan. Now, this is an area that I have struggled with most of my life, contentment. As I've said, I've lived in Boone my whole life, except for one little year right at birth. But for most of my life, I've lived in Boone. Not just Iowa, but in Boone. And for a very long time, I was frustrated by that. I remember in high school, I just wanted to get out. I was going to go anywhere I could for college just to get away. And then I went to DMACC. And then I met Andrea, and she was this Southern California girl... And she was going to be the one to take me out of this town. She's going to take me away. And 15 years later, we're still here. But then, then I got saved. And then I felt God calling me into ministry. And I was like, okay. And I even got accepted to Moody Bible in Chicago. And then God closed that door. And I was like, okay. But then when I finish my degree, I'm going to apply all over the country. I'm getting out of here. God is going to take me away. And I applied at like dozens of churches. And the only one that even offered me anything was Boone, Iowa. And I'm just like, okay, God. And I remember sitting with a friend and just being like, what? And he explains a lot of different things to me. Really helped to see why, helped me to see why God potentially had me in this town. And in that moment that I started to understand. And I can tell you that once I finally finally started to be content with being in Boone and being one of them, being a Boonie, the blessings that God started opening up for us and the doors that God started opening up. And I can honestly say I love 
this town now. I love everything about it, and now I pray that God never takes me away, but we'll see. Um, Contentment is defined as freedom from anxiety or worry. And I want you to just jump ahead a bit in our passage for today, and just, I just want to start on verse 35. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 35. That is going to be one of our key verses for today. And so it says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The Christian Standard Translation says that we may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. We are constantly searching for contentment in in our jobs, in money, in stuff, in our marriage. Contentment should be in Christ alone. And as we look at the passages from today, we can really see that there's really three subcategories in in these passages. But within those subcategories, we see the big idea of being content with where God has called you from. No matter what what stage of life the Corinthians were in, Paul's desire was for them to be devoted to Christ. And that's our desire for all of you as well, to be devoted to Christ. See, discontent was prevalent with the Corinthians. Some wanted to change their marital status. Some were slaves and they wanted to be free. And some wanted to use their freedom to rationalize sinning. This passage plainly teaches, clearly teaches, that Christians should willingly accept the marital status and the social situations into which God has placed them and to be content to serve him there until he leads us elsewhere. It's important for us to see that wherever God currently has us, that is our relational sphere of influence that we have to carry out the mission of making disciples and glorifying God. So with that being said, we'll dive into the rest of chapter 7 and look at those three main contexts that Paul uses to show contentment. Starting at verse 17, we're going to break it up. I'll just break it up as I read through it. Starting at verse 17, it says, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. We'll stop right there, and we'll look at this first context of contentment. And before we talk about this whole big idea of why Paul is even bringing up the idea of circumcision— I first want to draw your attention to the first verse. Verse 17. I know as we go through this, it may be easy for you to be sitting there thinking, well, you, you just don't get it. You don't understand. You don't, you don't understand the the struggle I'm dealing with as a single 
and it would just be so much easier over here. You don't understand the struggle in, in my job or, or whatever it is. You, you can just sit there and you say, you don't understand, Joey. But that verse is very clear. It says, the life that the Lord has assigned to him and has called him. Paul is urging the believer to look at the power and majesty and wisdom of Jesus and his calling and assigning each person to their current circumstances. You have to believe that that is true. You have to believe it's true in order to hear and submit to this text. You have to believe it so that you can hear that God is at work in his authority in your life. Our Heavenly Father cares about us and loves us so much with with infinite goodness, and he has a purpose for every one of us as followers of Jesus, and it's in the, the very situation that we find ourselves today. So from there, we look at this first context in which Paul is discussing contentment. Circumcised versus uncircumcised. At first, this can seem a little weird, right? He's like, why are we talking about circumcision in the middle of this text about marriage and everything else we've talked about? But we have to truly understand the context in which Paul is speaking, why he's saying this to Corinthians. What he's really saying when he says circumcised and uncircumcised, he's saying Jew and Gentile. The Jewish people were the chosen people of God. And they had been for thousands of years leading up to Jesus' death. From Genesis 12 until the death of Jesus, we can see that God had chosen the Jews and had he had even protected a remnant of faithful Jews, even through the years of idolatry and wandering from God. He kept a remnant of faithful Jews to bring about Jesus as the Messiah because they were his chosen people. And the Jews had a covenant relationship with God. And the mark of that covenant relationship was that every Jewish boy would be circumcised eight days after he was born. Why God chose circumcision as the mark of the covenant, I have no idea, but God is good and I am not, and God is all-knowing and I am not, so that is what he chose. But here now in Corinthians, we have the new covenant. A new covenant relationship between God and his people. And the defining mark of that is Jesus. Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so with that new covenant and new relationship, the door has been kicked open. And the chosen people of God, it's open to everyone, Jew and Gentile. That's where the Gentiles come in. Basically, the Gentile was just anyone that wasn't a Jew. And so they were not circumcised because they were not Jews. For years, those were the categories, Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised. But then Jesus comes on the scene, flips everything upside down, changes everything, and it's different. The Jewish people who were coming to faith in Jesus were saying that they still needed to follow the Old Testament laws, including circumcision. The Gentiles were saying, Jesus, they said, no, Jesus did away with the law. We don't, we don't need to be circumcised. And then we have this whole other level of 
people who were looking at the Jews and saying, well, now that you've become a follower of Jesus, you shouldn't have this marking. You need to undo your circumcision. How that works is beyond me, and I really don't want to understand it. Like, I'm just going to leave that one as it is and move on. But it was going on. We also have to understand that when we talk about Jews and Gentiles, we're not just talking about religious affiliation. We're talking about their family heritage, who they are as a people group. To be a Jew was not just religion, it was their nationality, it was their identity, it was everything to them. It's sort of like saying that we're Americans, but not even close. Because it was so much more to them than just saying that they were American. It was everything about their life was wrapped up in being a Jew. So we see this discontentment starting to form against the new believers in Corinth. They were ashamed. They were ashamed of where they had come from. They had gotten it wrong. And they wanted to remove any defining markings that united them to their past, whatever it was. They wanted to just forget the past. Verse 19 really sums up this whole debate and gives Paul's answer to what the new believers should be worrying about. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. He's saying it doesn't matter. If you are circumcised, stay circumcised. If you aren't circumcised and don't want to be, then don't. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is following God's commands. And Jesus tells us the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Your identity is not in what physical marks you carry from your past life. Your identity is in Christ. Romans 10.9 says, where is it? 10.9 says, if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is what matters. Have you confessed that Jesus is the Lord of your life? Do you believe that he is resurrected? Don't worry about your religious acts. Worry about if you are truly loving God and loving his people. If you worry about if you've actually accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is the most important thing. Not what acts or sacraments or whatever you've done in the past or what mistakes you've None of that matters. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Do you love God? Do you love his people? We move from this topic to the next. The, the, we move from the topic of religious background and, and family heritage to the next and that is socioeconomic status. Basically, what, what their social status was. And Paul specifically addresses this in the context of slavery and freedom. Follow with me as I read the next section. It says, Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he, was, he who was called... And the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a slave of Christ. 
You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let there let him remain with God. Now, again, this can start to seem a little offensive if we just take it at face value. You know, it's like, did Paul just say to remain in slavery? Is Paul okay with slavery? Why is he downplaying it so much? He's, why shouldn't, shouldn't Paul be fighting for equality and freedom? Doesn't he care about that? Well, again, we have to understand the cultural context in which this is written. When Paul is saying slave, he is not referring to it in the way that most of us think about slavery. In the first, sla- in the first century, slave was a term for a servant. It was not cruel or demeaning like we think about it from our country's heritage or even may as, now as you may think about it that where other countries still have slavery. It's not like that in the first century. Servants were many times better off than free men. A wealthy landowner would care for his servants so they could, they had energy to work. Many times they were paid as slaves. They were fed. They were clothed. They were given shelter. Sometimes they were even given an education. That all is not guaranteed for free people in the first century, but it's guaranteed for slaves. Many times people chose to be slaves. They willingly chose that lifestyle. Certain servants were even given duties that required training and skills. In Romans 1, Paul actually refers to himself in this manner. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle. The term servant a lot of times it says bond servant, no matter, depending on what translation you're reading. That's actually not the best translation for the word that Paul chose to use there. It's the same word he's using here in Corinthians when you see slave, slave, slave. It's the same exact word in Romans 1. Paul saying, I, Paul, a slave for Christ. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, the the word for slave was only given many times to those who were in the highest honor of God. Moses and Joshua were referred to as servants and slaves of God. Peter, Paul, John, slaves in Christ. It is a term of honor of God's people. But yet again in Corinthians, we see discontentment. The new believers that were slaves, they, when they got saved, they instantly thought that they should just be free. We're free in Christ. We should be free from slavery. Paul is saying, your state is not of first importance. If you're a slave, don't worry about it. If you can be made free, then make use of that new status as well. He's saying what really matters is your relationship to the Lord. That's what matters most. He then goes on to say that even the free person is a slave to Christ. This whole section is focusing on the new believers' professions, basically. When we read, in this section, when we read slave and free man, we should really be thinking in the mindset of employee and employer. 
the Corinthians just, they just wanted to better their lives. They wanted to be better than who they were. They thought that becoming believers in Jesus was going to automatically open the door to new professions and better social statuses. Where are you with these thoughts of social status? Do you feel that if you could just get that promotion, you'd be happier? If you could just get a different job, you'd be a better person? Or do you Do you hate your job? Do you go in every day just dreading your job? God has you right where he wants you. I know that may not be what you want to hear, but it's what this passage is saying. We need to be content with the place that God has us until he calls us to the next step. This is not forbidding any of you of bettering yourselves, but it is cautioning you against seeking change simply because you are now a Christian. I was talking through this with Andrea. She brought up the point, too, of we need to understand, too, when when we talk about contentment as Christians, that doesn't mean comfortable. I, I personally, off the top of my head, and I don't know a lot about my Bible, but I personally cannot think of a single verse that says that we should be comfortable in Christ. Content is a whole different level. Content is being okay and being holding on to Jesus in the midst of suffering and chaos. And it's usually not comfortable. I understand this desire of something better. And especially when you, you feel that God is calling you to something else. You know, you know that the promotion is coming, or you know that when you're done with school, you'll get this opportunity, but it's just not yet. When I first felt God calling me into full-time ministry, I was working at a factory in Ames. But I would not grown up in the church, and I didn't know anything about my Bible, and I knew very little about Jesus, so I felt that I needed to go to Bible college. So while I was in Bible college the first two years, I was working third shift at the factory while going to school full-time during the day and had a wife and two kids at home. And then the the second year of it, I added being part-time youth director onto that, onto everything else. During the time at the factory, I viewed that as a burden. It was a burden that I just had to do, just had to get through in order to provide for my family a burden that I was, that God had something better for me than what I was currently in. This is just where he has me, but he's got something better planned for me down there. And a burden that he was going to release me from soon. And so because of the way I felt about my job and treating it as a burden, I was a jerk to most of the people that I worked with. I did the bare minimum to get my job done wander away from my station. I refused to work overtime. I'd punch in right on time and I'd punch out right at time and I'd be gone. I was a jerk. And I was a jerk to the people with me too because I was better than them because I was going to get out of the factory. I couldn't wait to be free from the burden. I look back now And I realize I missed so many opportunities to witness for those men that I worked with. 
Not necessarily saying I needed to stand on my soapbox in the middle of the cell preaching sermons every day. The ability to witness through being a good worker, through not being a jerk, through being kind and loving to people. I was so focused on the next step and what God had planned for me that the people that I worked with got a vision of a Christian as a lazy, obnoxious jerk. Often we are so concerned about what we could be doing for God somewhere else that we miss opportunities right in front of our face. Verse 23 gives us the whole view of our current position as followers of Jesus. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Our very lives have been purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. The word that Paul uses for bought here also means redeemed. It is the same word that the Greeks would use to describe the slave market. Redemption means to be purchased out of the slave market of sin. No matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your job, we are free from sin. When I first got to Stonebridge, I asked Matt, what is the mission statement for Stonebridge Church? And he said, helping the next generation know and obey Jesus. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I like that word obey. It's harsh. I question if that's, that's really what we wanted to be teaching people, or at least that we wanted people to be hearing. You know, I oftentimes think through the lens of Joey from 10 years ago, non-Christian, antagonistic towards Christian Joey. And that's the lens that I look through a lot of things that we say and do. I said, that word obey, I feel like it could push people away from us, push people away from the church. But after we talked about it, and I prayed about it, and I really thought about it, I fell in love with it. We want to teach this community who Jesus is, and we want to teach them that he loves them unconditionally. But we also need to teach them what he is asking of us. Without obedience to Jesus, we have a community full of people who say they know Jesus, but have not submitted their lives to him. In order to fully understand what it means to be a Christian, we have to understand what it means to obey Jesus, to follow his commands. Non-believers and non-Christians may not like the idea of Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but the truth is we are all slaves or servants to something or someone. We are either serving Jesus and a slave in Christ and obeying his commands, or we are slaves to sin and letting the world control our thoughts and our actions. One of those leads to hope and joy, and contentment, and an eternity in heaven. The other leads to death. Which master do you want to be a slave to? The last area of discontentment we can see brewing in Corinth is in the area of marriage and family. Follow along as I read this last section. It says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. 
but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. That is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had not had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Here's our key verse. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined that in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then when he marries his betrothed, does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. All right. That's a long section. I know some of you guys are like right now looking at your watch and you're like, he's only halfway through. And he's got this huge section here now. We have talked a lot over the past three weeks about the topics of marriage and singleness and expectations for intimacy in those areas and divorce and the permanence of marriage. So even though this is our longest passage for today, I'm going to spend the least amount of time on it. But if something from that passage struck you and seemed confusing to you and jumped out to you and, and we haven't explained it over the past few weeks and, and you want to talk to somebody, call Matt. He would love to go into great detail with you about what all of this is talking about. I'm kidding. Seriously, either one of us would be happy if something jumps out and you're just like, I didn't get that. Either one of us, our elders, even your connection group leaders, I'm sure, would just be willing to go through that with you. Paul is simply just repeating the thoughts that he has said throughout the chapter of remaining in the position in which we were called, in which we were saved. He goes through this list of those who are betrothed, those who are married, those who are single. The Corinthians were asking, I'm engaged. Should I actually get married? I'm married. Would it be better off if I was single? And Paul is repeating the idea, it doesn't matter. 
remain as you were when you gave your life to Jesus. And if Jesus opens the door for you to take that next step, then take it. I do want to draw your attention to verses 29 and 31. This is what I want to finish our time with today. Paul says, the appointed time is growing short. And then in verse 31, he says, the current age is passing away. What is he saying? He's saying life is short. Life is short. I want you to think about this rope as a set period of time. Whatever, whatever amount of time you want it to be. It's 2018, so maybe this is 2018 years right here, right? It seems like a long amount of time when we say 2018 years, right? But when we look at this little blue tip at the end, this is our life. And sometimes our life seems to drag and it seems to go on and on and on. And certain days are so hard for us to get through. But when we look at our life in the scale of 2,000 years, it is just, it's short. Reality is, we serve a God who is eternal. He goes on and on and on. And no matter how long of a rope I had here, it just wouldn't even matter. It's, a, it's a, actually a terrible analogy for the infinite of God. Yeah. I always mess this stuff up. I don't know why I play with things. But seriously, like it is, it's, an, it's a finite image. It's a broken image of what an eternity looks like. Our life in the eternity of Jesus. During that life, we may work the same job for 35 years, or we may change a job every two years. We may be we may never get married, or we may stay married for 70 years. You may have 10 kids, or you may have none. But life is short. And we go through this life with discontentment. We look at our life, and we look at those around us, and we say, we'd be so much better off if, if we could just do this or that. As a single, we say, if I could just get married, then I would, I would be able to win the battle of temptation, and I'd be a better Christian. Or maybe we're married, and we, we say, if I was, if I was just single— and I didn't have my wife, and I didn't have kids, and I didn't have to worry about them and work a job. I could serve more, and I could, I could go on mission trips, and I could be a better Christian. We look at our jobs, and we say, my job, my boss is so terrible. He's so rude, and he takes all the credit for all of my hard work. And, and I have a college degree, and I'm stuck in this entry-level position. If I could just get a better job or if I could just get that promotion, I would be a better Christian. Or we look at people in the church. We look at people who've grown up in the church their whole lives. And we say, they're so lucky. They're so perfect. Their parents brought them to church. 
and they grew up and they know like they have like a million Bible verses memorized. Right. And I don't know anything. If only my parents had had their act together and had brought me to church and had raised me right, I'd be a better Christian. Or maybe we're on the opposite end of that spectrum. right? Maybe you grew up in the church, but now you're seeing people come in, new believers, and they bring baggage with them. I bring baggage with me. They bring baggage and they bring hurts and they bring scars. And you look at your life and you're like, I just, I just feel like I can't relate to those people. Maybe, maybe if I had, maybe if I'd lived a little when I was younger, maybe if I'd experienced more, then I could actually relate to those people and I could help them better and I'd be a better Christian. What does Paul say? It doesn't matter. Verse 35, be undecidedly devoted to the Lord. Be content with where God has you right now. Be content with where God has brought you from. No matter your past, your job, your socioeconomic status, or your marital status, be content with where God has you. He has you exactly where he wants to use you right now. No matter what our current context is, we need to keep our identity in Christ. When we are, we are in eternity with God, we're not going to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have just, if only I would have. That's not the way it's going to be. We're not going to miss something from our life. I know it's hard to wait on God's timing, especially when we look at what we could be doing next or we look at those around us and what they're doing and it looks so much better than where we are at. Like I said, I have oftentimes been someone who has been discontent with where God has me and the blessings that he has poured out on me. And at different times in my walk, even, even since being a Christian, I have felt discontentment. And at times I have prayed passionately for him to let me out of my current context. And I would think that there were opportunities opening up. And then he would close the doors. And I would get so angry and so bitter. And so frustrated at my context or at God. It wasn't until I finally became content with where God had me and how he was going to use me in that context that he opened the door to the next stage. If we are trying to change something about our current context simply because we are discontent or it is a difficult situation, I promise you that that discontentment will follow you And there will always be difficult people and difficult situations in every context that you go to. Theologian Gordon Fee says, Only in Christ, in Christ alone, can we truly feel content with where God has us. Because of this, change is not necessary. Indeed, one may live out the Christian life in whatever setting that call took place. On the other hand, precisely because the settings are irrelevant, if change does take place, that too is irrelevant. What one is not to do is to seek change as though it had 
a religious significance, which it does not. No matter your job, no matter your marital status, Unless, unless your job is something immoral, which I don't think any of you are doing, or unless something in your relationship is immoral, you are to remain in the call or remain in the place that God has called you, that he has saved you. Remain as you are. And in that context, you live out the mission, loving God, loving his people, serving, making disciples. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for these passages. I pray you can help each of us to be content. I know that's easier to say than to do. But God, through you, through your word, through prayer, through God's people, we can find contentment in the place that you have us. Help us to live out the mission of loving you and loving people and making disciples in every context that we find ourselves, in our job, in our marriage, in our family, and to not be ashamed of the past or where we have come from. Thank you, God, for all that you've done. In your name we pray. Amen.